the headlines are racist. The overtones are racist. The way we write is racist. It's bigoted. It's ignorant. Oh, I am absolutely the bad guy. I'm the boogeyman. And I, for many people, I always will be. I've accepted that. Over the past two years, we've heard a lot about so-called fake news. Politicians have attacked it. Reality-based media outlets have debunked it. Social media companies have tried to tackle it. But consider this. All those made-up stories online, those false headlines, somebody has to actually write them. If you thought about it at all, you might have a view as to what a fake news writer looks like. Maybe she's at a desk in a shadowy office in Russia. Or behind a blog in Lagos. Perhaps a fake news writer is a staunch patriot in Montana or Manila. Or maybe it's this guy. Not only do I plan on doing this for as long as I possibly can, I have picked a successor. (laughs) And then there's the people who are fighting fake news. They're not only journalists or think tank wonks. Sometimes they're people like this. It keeps me in work, and it's interesting work, and it's fun, and it's exciting. and Because, yeah, there's always the thrill of the chase, uh, finding out who is behind it, how are they doing it, how does it work, and um, how can we counter it. So it's, it's a chess game. The internet is rife with fake news. But starting in this episode and continuing in the next one, we're going to tell you a story you haven't heard before, and it's all true. I'm Mike Wendling. This is the BBC Trending Podcast. We take an investigative look at social media. To guide us through the jungle of fake news, our reporter is Anissa Subedar. Mike, this is a tale of two men in two cities in two different countries. One who writes fake news for a living, the brains behind hundreds of stories, some of which you may have heard about or have even seen yourself. The other is a man who works to try and expose the false stories. He's dedicated to debunking them before they can get widely shared and potentially create chaos and damage online and off. He's now devised technology to help him detect and keep misinformation at bay by finding and exposing the online lies that are passed off as truths. My first stop in reporting this story was in the far northeast of the United States, where I went to talk to a man who's a hero to some and a villain to many others. (laughs) Portland, Maine is right on the Atlantic coast, two hours' drive north of Boston. It's best known for its lobster and lighthouses, 65 historical lighthouses, in fact, throughout the state, but I didn't see a single one. Sorry, Maine. Instead, I went to meet the man who wrote some of these completely false headlines. Obama, Soros and the Dems ordered the shutdown to stage a coup. Clinton Foundation ship caught smuggling refugees. Muslim judge allows Sharia law. The headlines are racist. The overtones are racist. The way we write is racist. It's bigoted. It's ignorant. This is Christopher Blair. He lives in Portland, or actually just outside. He's 46 years old, and we arranged to meet in the foyer of a hotel near the airport. He's hard to miss at two metres tall. He's got a strong beard and was wearing shorts with lots of pockets and a Halloween Horror Night t-shirt, he tells me later he got from Universal Studios. 
Everything I'd read about him prior to meeting him contained words like notorious hoaxer or prolific faker. So yeah, I braced myself for what I thought was going to be a tricky interview. Do I put out more headlines that aren't true than any other person on the internet? Probably. Let's go back to the very beginning mm -hmm. of how you got into this field. I was in construction for 25 years until the economy crashed. And then construction just wasn't what it used to be. And I ended up moving into writing and from writing to where I am now. That was 2014, I want to say, I started writing. You heard those headlines. They seem designed to appeal to patriotic Americans, Republicans, supporters of Donald Trump. And here's a former construction worker, far from America's big liberal bastions. So maybe you're as surprised as I was when I heard more about Christopher Blair's background and what kind of politics actually influenced him. Well, my stepfather was a, um, he actually ran for Massachusetts State Senate when I was, I may have not even been born yet when that happened. And he was a, an extremely influential part of my life. He married my mom when I was five, so he was essentially, you know, dad. Uh, he did a great job. And he was extremely Democrat, extremely for the people, extremely, you know, just Massachusetts Democrat through and through. So, yeah, it was in the house. Christopher's family. They were on the left side of that divide that now seems so big in America. And so is he. I actually owned a liberal blog for a while. And then the last line of defense happened and it just became all consuming because uh, it was the best thing ever. I mean, <laughs> it really was just the best thing ever. You heard Christopher Blair mention the last line of defense. That's one of his Facebook pages. The profile picture on the page is Hillary Clinton dressed as Kenny McCormick from South Park. Now, South Park, of course, is a hugely successful adult American animation. But if you're not familiar, there's a recurring joke. Kenny is a character that wears an orange hoodie. He dies a lot with no explanation and then returns again with no explanation. And I mentioned that because it's an important detail that I'm going to come back to again because it hints at what Christopher Blair's page is all about. A recent post on Christopher Blair's The Last Line of Defence page has a huge headline that looks like it's from a trusted news agency on first glance. It's highly produced and written in an eye-catching font. 22 Russian trolls caught using democratic funds to operate. And the point of this is that it's supposed to look genuine. People will see it on their feed, think it's real, and ultimately believe what they read. It's a textbook example of fake news. False, often sensational information disguised as news reporting. At first glance, it appears to be a real news story. Christopher Blair fills his page with fake news posts, which are then read and shared, reacted to, which pushes the post higher up your feed according to the way the Facebook algorithm works, which means more and more people get to see that post. And that's how someone like Christopher Blair makes money on Facebook. You write a post and it does well, really well. Hundreds of thousands of people see it, like it and share it. And that is an advertiser's dream on the platform. Money is made by advertisers who pay Facebook to promote and plug their products to the people they think might buy those products. Christopher's websites also have ads. Google provides those. 
These targeted ads are a surefire way to make money. In fact, Chris made so much cash that he gave up his job in construction to write full time. If we see Chris as a sort of yin in the fake news landscape, then let me introduce you to the Yang, the complete polar opposite of Christopher Blair. A few months ago, I was in a little town about an hour's train ride east of Brussels in Belgium. Yeah, I'm Martin Schenk and I'm a fact checker and I built the Trendalyzer engine to find out what's trending on the internet. And I accidentally discovered it works really well to find trending fake news. So uh, that's what I've been doing the past two years or so. And I'll show you where the magic happens. And uh, so I start Ooh, my day. It's quite steep. Yeah, uh... Martin Schenk is on the stocky side. He's got a neat goatee and a lovely house behind a row of trees in a small town that's quiet and suburban. Look, this is the belly of the beast. Yeah. The nerve centre of where it all happens, Martin. Exactly. So you have three... In the basement, there's an L-shaped desk with three huge computer monitors. The guts of the machines are tucked away neatly underneath. There isn't a lot of room and he keeps a cooler of iced tea in the corner. Finding out what's trending on the internet is our job, not your job. <laughs> so talk me through how Trendalyzer became a fact-checking site rather than checking what's trending on the internet. A few years ago, I met my current business partners. They wanted to make a website about what's trending and then write about it. But it never really got off the ground because by the time it was trending, all the big sites were writing about it. So nobody came to our little site. So yeah, they went to the BBC, I guess. But only when we wrote about something that was not true did we suddenly see a spike in Google search traffic. So Martin didn't find success when writing about stories that were true. He found a substantial number of people were far more interested in fake news being found out. And from something that was an accidental discovery, well, for Martin, it soon became something of an obsession. The chase was on. We're tracing the parallel stories of two people on the opposite sides in the world of fake news. Over in the U.S., it's Christopher Blair. He's been described as one of the most prolific writers of fake news. And in Belgium, Martin Schenk, a fact-checker who has made it his job to expose the fakes. Anissa, I feel a clash coming on. All in good time, Mike. But at this point, I think it's good to remind everyone of the history and how exactly fake news became such a huge topic for real news. Let's wind the clock back to 2016. A host of totally made-up stories appear on the internet that originate from Macedonia. They had headlines like... FBI agent suspected in Hillary email leaks found dead in apparent murder-suicide. And... Pope Francis shocks world, endorses Donald Trump for president. At least 140 fake news websites were pulling in huge numbers on one main platform, Facebook. Many of those stories seemed to originate from Macedonia, and incidentally, many of them were just copy and paste jobs originally written by the fake news writer who I spoke to, Christopher Blair. Now, these stories were designed to appeal to passionate Donald Trump supporters. I am here to tell you about our incredible progress in making America great again. Shortly after she lost the election, Hillary Clinton gave a speech where she slammed 
the epidemic of malicious fake news and false propaganda on social media. But this was immediately taken up by her opponent, most famously in a press conference just before he took office. Your organization, you sir. Let's go. Question, sir. Go ahead. Sir, quiet, quiet. Mr. President-elect, go ahead. She's, she's asking a question. Don't be rude. I'm not going to give you a question. You are fake news. And so the term fake news hit the mainstream in a very political way, which caused something of a problem. Because now it's used as a weapon to bash not just completely false things made up by Christopher Blair or Macedonians, but conspiracy theories, misinformation, spin, mistakes, opinion, and even completely truthful reports that people just don't like. So Anissa, let's be very clear here. We're taking the politics out of it. We're looking at the original meaning of fake news, completely made up stuff. The stories that Christopher Blair writes and that Martin Schenk debunks, they have absolutely no basis in fact. Right. But despite those being false, or maybe because of being false, they have a huge appeal. They get people to click. Now, we heard earlier how Christopher Blair was making a substantial amount of money from writing fake news, so much so that he was able to give up his day job and do it for a living. That's one side of fake news that we know is lucrative. But what I wanted to find out is if it was the same for the truth hunters. Do fact checkers make the same kind of money? Uh, very little. So there's. <laughs> Have you made any money? Any uh, substantial money? Not substantial. So about half of my income right now comes from running Trendalyzer and Lead Stories. How, and roughly, are you, are you able to yeah, say how much? Yeah, a few thousand euros, but... I guess 10% of, of, of that comes from uh, the advertising that I make on Lead Stories. Lead Stories is a fact-checking website that Martin co-founded. It's essentially a blog, and he makes money the same way the fake news writers make it, by advertising. Now, if we go back to late 2016 and that fraught American presidential election, that's when the fake news fighters started to really notice the fake news writers. So we first came across Christopher Blair when we were looking into some uh, trending stories from a bunch of Macedonian websites. So they had all sorts of uh, fake news about politics, about Hillary Clinton dying, uh, that sort of stuff. And um, yeah, one of the first things you do when you do a fact check is, is this the original site publishing the article? And then so we were finding more and more uh, sites that were stealing content from uh, these sites, which I didn't know were uh, Christopher Blair's at the time. And I initially assumed they were all part of the same network. That network Martin is talking about there is the Macedonian one we mentioned earlier. It taught Martin everything he needed to know about the origins of the writers he chases. Later on, I learned a lot about how Christopher Blair works. He uh, first set up a whole bunch of Facebook groups and he advertised to find literally the dumbest Trump supporters he could find through targeted advertising, like join this group, uh, our president with spelling mistakes, all that. He's great. He's the best. Uh, believe me. So they would flock to his uh, Facebook groups and he would feed them a steady diet of fake stories and he would be amazed that these people actually believed all of that. Now, Mike, 
Earlier I mentioned Christopher Blair's Facebook page and the picture at the top that has Hillary Clinton dressed as Kenny from South Park. Yeah. Well, here's a bit where that becomes relevant. There are two justifications Christopher Blair uses to defend his writing. Firstly, he says all his writing is satirical. We've gone out of our way, if you've ever seen the page, seen the sites, to market a satire, to make sure that everybody knows this isn't real. When I asked you if you've been to my Facebook page, have you seen the profile picture? Hmm. <clears throat> I mean, it's Hillary Clinton dressed as Kenny McCormick because we kill her so often. You know, the header on the page is a picture of a caps lock button because that's what they use for the rage is the caps lock. But, you know, it's it's I go out of my way. I try to make it as obvious as I can. So what he means by that is that it should be obvious to those who visit the page that it's not serious. And he writes stories all the time about Hillary Clinton dying, even though she's very much alive. And to be fair to him, if you look at his Facebook page, right at the top, there's a disclaimer that says, we're here to provide you with information you can use to continue being as informed as a conservative feels comfortable with. Please don't use our page in conjunction with Google or the news. It will only serve to confuse you further. There are still going to be people, it doesn't matter how much you yell, how much you scream, how many times you put satire on your page, they're still going to believe it and they're still going to share it. My Facebook page says entertainment website. It does not say news media on it anywhere, and it never has. It's not news. It's never been news. I've never really tried to sell it as real news. You know, they're headlines, though. I understand that. And there are other clues and disclaimers hidden around his Facebook pages and websites. But Anissa, I think we should note here that most people won't make it to Christopher Blair's Facebook page. They won't make it to any of his websites or see any of these disclaimers. Many won't even click the link if they see it on their own Facebook feed. What they'll do is they'll just share the headline. And from this perspective, his stories don't look any different from any other fake stories that are out there. Now, here's the second way Christopher Blair justifies writing often offensive fake news. He says that he's actually a true Democrat, a liberal, a hard blue. I'm what's known as a liberal troll. My purpose online is to expose the modern American conservative. He says he's doing this as a sort of infiltration of right-wing America to make conservatives look stupid. OK, you better explain that. I know, it sounds weird. But he's very open about the fact that what he writes isn't true, precisely because Christopher says this demonstrates that the people who click and share it... Who, are, by and large, are right-wing Republican Trump supporters. Yeah. So Christopher says this demonstrates that they are stupid or evil or malicious. And he goes further... He says he's infiltrated right-wing social media. Here's one story he told, a legendary one. You were given the rights to the page mm -hmm. um, because it was an almost infiltration, it was an infiltration. Into, the into their world. The so purpose of the infiltration was to take the page. Taking the page takes a little bit of finesse. What you have to do is you have to convince the person that runs the page that you're their friend. And using his big fake news sites and pages to his advantage... He approached the administrators of one conservative page. I would tell them that I worked for a huge page and we had these Facebook credits we could use for free advertising, but I had to be an administrator on the page. And the second they made you administrator on the page, kicked them all off, deleted all their posts and replaced it with pictures of goats. Goats. Yep. <laughs> goats. It sounds out there. Called the 
army of trolls and they all showed up and for days it was just goats on top of goats and you just sit there and watch the likes for the page go down as the conservatives scurried away. What were the goats replacing? Just your typical pictures of, you know, lynching Obama and what a Muslim he is and all the stupid hate posts that's on a, that are on a typical conservative page. We just tore them up, threw them away and replaced them with goats. Goats are cute. So I checked the story with Martin Schenk, and yes, it's true. Yeah, goat, goat, goat. So they would call themselves the goat herd. So yeah, he's a guy already with a history of annoying uh, racist Republicans and pulling shenanigans and pranks online. So, Anissa, in the timeline of this story of fake news, we've got to about two years ago, right? Yeah. Christopher Blair is making money writing fake stuff. Martin Schenk is making considerably less money debunking it. Mm-hmm. But after the U.S. election, there's suddenly a huge outpouring of attention on so-called fake news. And it's not long before the business model of fake news comes crashing down. Oh, I am absolutely the bad guy. I'm the boogeyman. And I, for many people, I always will be. I've accepted that. The one thing that I enjoy about it now is they've always said that I did it for the money. There hasn't been any money in six months. Go look at my page. It's active. I'm still doing it. I'm still writing. I'm still there. I still believe. And I always will. Martin notices a shift in the world of disinformation. It's an arms race. As long as there is a potential for profit, people will keep trying and they will keep finding new filters and then they will find ways to get around the filters. And after stalking each other and swapping messages online for so long, Chris and Martin finally talk, with a little help, from us. I'm not contending with Martin. I'm not contending with any of them. I hope they keep doing their jobs. I'm, um, I don't know that he wants to close me down, or maybe he does. You know, (laughs) (laughs) you're welcome to try. Do you want Chris to stop writing? God, no. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he's much too funny for one thing. And the other thing, he's a great way of finding actual fake news sites. All of that and more next time. That's it for this edition of the BBC Trending Podcast. I'm Mike Wendling. Thanks to Anissa Subadar and our studio manager, Rod Farker. We'd love to hear from you. Please do get in touch. Tell us what you thought about this episode. Send us a tweet or Facebook message. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review and a rating. It really does help people find the show. Now, just before we go, here are some words from a lot of people speaking all at once about another podcast from Mumbai. Those are the voices of students here in Mumbai at the recording in front of this brilliant audience of the final episode of the first season of what is it? Indian Life, the BBC World Service podcast with me, Kalki Kekla. Join me and my guests discussing really important and difficult issues from the series. Search for My Indian Life wherever you found this podcast you're currently listening to. And from us here on Trending, that's all for now, but we'll be back in your feed very soon.